Hi. <laughs> Sorry. Jason was attempting to do his Robert Mitchum impression. I can't. It's so hard. We're all unworthy. Well, welcome to Sacred Obscura. And of course, we, as you just heard Abby talk, we're going to be talking about one of the greatest flops of all time that has influenced so many movies and has deeply spiritual roots, The Night of the Hunter. Was it a flop? It was a huge flop. No that's, kidding. That's why Charles Allen only did one movie. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. It was such a flop, but it's it's just... but It's, it's a cult classic. It's a cult, It's yeah. become a cult classic that's influenced directors... Um, everything from Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Simpsons, Supernatural, Blazing Saddles, The Elephant Man by David Lynch, Do the Right Thin with, uh, with Spike Lee, <laughs> Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. I mean, I can keep going. This movie has ha- roots go down everywhere. Like, you've seen it, you've heard elements of it, you've kind of witnessed parts of it somewhere in your lexicon, somewhere, like in one show or another. Yeah, I think the best films are like that. They have this sort of haunting presence throughout the rest of cinema. And while they may not be recognizable for their um, innovation or greatness in the moment, it's the ones that really dig in and leave a lasting impact that seem to be the richest with existential or philosophical or theological um, ideas. So. Mm-hmm. So Abby, let's talk a little bit about this movie because a lot of you guys have never heard about this movie. You never probably... It's a sleeper. <laughs> it's a sleeper. Um, we actually showed it for your birthday. We did. By and a special request. By a special request. <laughs> that was her birthday present from me. It's like, hey, guess what? You're going to watch... Everyone's going to watch Night of the Hunter. And it was really interesting seeing the people who had never seen it, mm-hmm. like their, their reactions to it. They were... Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's a black and white film, you automatically assume that sure it's a classic so it's going to be very tame very innocent you know not necessarily um light but definitely less offensive than um a lot of more horror that is conventional nowadays but it really disarms you in being very bleak very dark um very surprising i don't know just a uh terrifying pair of hands i guess yeah. <laughs> which, a pair of hands robert mitchum's hands robert mitchum's knuckles most, not even his, his hands his right. knuckles well, i mean he's he's a strangler so yeah. he <laughs> strangles of his hands and he has on his hands love and hate tattooed across, tattooed his, knuckles. across his knuckles and he i would even do that actually i would actually i did that when i was did born i would take markers and just do love and hate <laughs> In the middle of church, like mm-hmm. events, and just be like, <laughs> Yeah, once you know that your fingers line up to that, you're like, Oh, what else can I write there? And of yeah. course, nobody would know it. Like, why do you have love and hate? <laughs> oh, sure, because then you have to explain it. Yeah, the ways we try to. <laughs> and then I would do my worst Robert Mitchum and just be like, And Kane tried to defeat Kane. Yes. Love tried oh, to win. Man. And then hate, hate, oh, hate was going to win. <laughs> it's love that did it. Love. Yeah, I, I will spare you my Robert Mitchum impression, but uh, I think his hands are, well, his knuckles per- specifically, those are the biggest image in the film that's sort of, you think Night of the Hunter, you think of Robert Mitchum's tattooed knuckles. Um, and, and that hat. And that hat is daunting too, a classic preacher's Parsons hat yeah. that he wears all the time and rarely takes off. That um, That silhouette on the skyline is very, very sinister. So, so let's talk about the premise of the movie, and then we're going to go a little bit into the history of the movie and some of its influences. Tell the people what it's about. <laughs> well, it's a it's about a preacher. It's about a preacher named um, Robert Mitchum's character is Harry Powell, 
And uh, Jason, you found an interesting tidbit about Harry Powell. It's actually, so the author, it was based off a book. So this movie was based off originally a book that the director took and kind of tweaked a little bit of. Um, It's kind of of the vein at that era of the 1930s and 40s of what was the rise of the Southern Gothic literature. My favorite. Yes. And I'm going to ask you a question about that later. Uh, But uh, the story kind of goes on. um, You see at the beginning of the movie uh, a man escape from prison. He runs to see his children who are playing out in the field. And then he gives them money. And he gives the oldest money. And the the oldest hides the money. The next scene you see is that, that that father is now in prison. Mm-hmm. And he meets this preacher who has been recently arrested for, um, I think he just like does an obscene thing in a movie theater. But what uh, the, the law and his unassuming uh, cellmate don't know is that Robert Mitchum's character, Harry Powell, is not a preacher. In fact, he's a preacher of evil because he is a strangler of widows. And he's based off a real, uh, what we call, they're called. Um, Lonely Hearts. Lonely Hearts Club killers, or they sometimes are called. um, There's a like a like they're blue something I forgot. It's like a French title Hmm. for uh, for characters that are. I'll probably probably come to me later, but uh, that would murder widows. Hmm. So he ends up being released from prison on good behavior. Yes. And he goes to track down the widow of his former cellmate, which ironically had died in prison. Mm Hmm. So he finds Shelley Winters, who is known for many films. She's a very classic TV actress. And in this film, she plays a very um, naive and really obtuse woman who seems to not understand how she gets in these situations, but doesn't really have the strength to find her way through them anyway. It's actually kind of cool. She was the only actress originally that's the director actually only wanted her to play that role. I see that. I can tell that when she takes the role that it is really written for her. And I heard that, I was reading another report, that Kurt Douglas and Jack Lemmon. Ooh, Jack Lemmon would have been terrifying. It would have been so weird. I don't know if I could see Jack Lemmon. I think... Maybe Jason Robards. Maybe this is from a woman's perspective, but I find um, Robert Mitchum to be very handsome, but his uh, features are very um, bold and dark. Yeah. And so that really conveys, like, okay, he's this very handsome, persuasive um, seductor of, you know, the innocent. But at the same time, you do get, like, this, he's a hard man vibe. Yeah. And I feel like Jack Lemon is very handsome in his own right. I don't know if he right. do the Southern he's charm. He's softer. He's softer. And I think in the Southern Gothic um, vein, to have a soft man be... A rough character really just doesn't yeah. click as well. There's which a, is not there's to say a, but that's like that's actually. I mean, I love that because like one of my favorite Charlie Chaplin movies is a movie called Monsieur Vaduce, and he plays a serial killer who mur- murders widows, mm-hmm. and he's soft, he's lovable, right. he's mm-hmm. slightly goofy, and then you're kind of looking ahead. I'm going like, but then he's murdering women. It is a different contrast, and the the what Harry actually does is instead of like he doesn't typically use like a gun or anything like that he strangles and that is such like an intimate um like means to take someone out (laughs) for lack of a better phrase um and so just the i mean he's a very tall guy too so he has this incredible 
presence about him. I'm kind of curious um, if like Johnny Cash was influenced by him. Oh, I wonder. There's that. I looked it up and I couldn't find that, anything. Um, very bold sense that he carries himself. Even with. the clothes. It's very Cash-like. The black suits and the I'm white. The man in black. Yeah. yeah. I, it's almost like I feel like Johnny Cash watched this movie and it was just like. So I don't know what he's even learned. with the comparison of Johnny Cash, you have these very strong and brooding masculine types. Um, and then to compare them or set them as a foil to innocent children yes. is a really interesting and um, really terrifying. It's 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 the it's through dynamic. the in, it's through the innocence of the children throughout this movie that the story kind of weighs everything because they're the ones you see right through the adults. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who see right through this man who is you know marrying is going to marry their mother mm-hmm. and then try to get the money from them. Right. Like the older, the oldest sibling, the boy, he's almost kind of like an Old Testament, like Moses style character. He sees the reality of everybody. Yeah. Like a Joseph character, like they kind of, he sees right through people, mm-hmm. but all the adults are charmed. Right. By this I mean, man. Even, um, even Pearl, the younger child, she's initially charmed. And then she realizes like, mm, something's like kind of off about him. There's something very sinister about the way that he behaves, especially how fickle he is with them when he thinks that they're going to actually tell him, hey, where's the money kind of thing. And so they do this cat and mouse throughout. Um, but yeah, the children have a, a foresight that the adults don't have, um, which really is driven home that almost they are like blessed in a sense. Yes. So you have this really incredible scene, not to give anything too much away, where the two children are fleeing from Harry Powell and they try to make a break for it to this boat and this little river and they get into the boat and they push through the rushes at the edge of the stream and push out into the water and Harry Powell screaming after them, you know, come back here, come back, you're mine. And he goes into the rushes, but the rushes hold him back. And this is a particular part of the film that is really interesting because up until this particular scene, the film is very realistic. It's mostly shot on location, to my understanding. Or backlots, yeah, like old yeah. Hollywood backlots. Yeah, yeah. It's you have a very sen- uh, strong sense that this is a very real film. And then once they take off into the river, everything becomes a little bit enchanted. You have some very light early nineteen fifties, late forties special effects. Um, you have uh, it becomes just, a Tim Burton esque almost. And it, that's another mm-hmm. influence, another director who is directly been influenced Tim Burton you see aspects of like a Tim Burton movie mm-hmm. you know like there's the the black silhouettes of buildings in the background that almost look cartoony and flat but also haunting yeah you see uh, Robert Mitchum in one scene on a horse silhouetted by the by the sunrise and it really reminds me of um, Don Quixote oh, by yeah. Picasso and he's just standing there and this is another really interesting thing about um, Harry's character is he's usually singing and he's singing a specific lean hymn most of the time, on, leaning on the everlasting arms, which is a Southern gospel staple. Yeah. Um, if you grew up in a small church growing up, then you definitely have heard this song. It is a mainstay in a Christian hymnal. And so he sings this, but he's also this really screwed up evil guy. And the uh, dichotomy of that and the contradiction is so unnerving. So you see him 
silhouetted by the morning. The children wake up. They're afraid. They hear leaning on the everlasting arms, and they just see this menacing man in a parson's like head on devil, a horse. It's never. It's like always on their stalking, like always yes. stalking them right behind them, and the he's adversary singing is a roaring a lion. Hymn. Yeah, whom he may devour. Yeah, and it's just like you, it's just like this kind of dark shadow that follows the children throughout throughout the whole second half of the movie, is mm. is this shadow of him. Even at elements, sometimes it is his shadow. Right, it's literally mm. his shadow used. Which the black and white film, oh. Oh, it is some delicious shadowing. It's in the most yes, <laughs> I mean ways. the. Probably the most beautifully shot murder scene, which, surprise, we're not going to ruin the end of the movie, uh, Shirley Winter's character gets murdered, when, she, like, mm-hmm. it's shaped like a coffin, almost like a really stained glass window. Remember? Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, the way that, like, he's it's silhouetted. Very still camera. And everything, yeah, she's, mm-hmm. and then she's silhouetted almost like she's a saint. She's holding her arms as if she's dead already, mm-hmm. like, right across she her knows. chest. Yeah. That she's going to die. And then the light on her is shot so that it looks like she's been blessed by God. In some yeah. like religious aspect, and you know that it, she's gonna die because he's just silhouetted and like the dark shadow. You don't yeah, see. He's won in this case. He's won this battle. Yeah. So there's another scene where the light plays a really interesting role in the filming, and that is when the children uh, end up in the care of uh, Lillian Gish's character. Oh, Rachel I love Lillian Gish. Who is, I mean, let's be frank, she's pretty much a badass throughout this entire uh, film. Yeah. And, she, um, and so there's this really intense scene where uh, Harry Powell is sitting outside waiting for everyone in the house to fall asleep so he can come in and take John and Pearl. And uh, Rachel Cooper is sitting on her porch with a loaded rifle and Harry starts to sing, leaning on the everlasting arms. And what is really interesting and was an intentional device in the film, so I've heard, was that Charles Lawton wrote Harry Powell's um, dialogue about his religious dialogue to only mention the Lord and not to mention Jesus Christ. Yeah. So he's, he's coming from a very strong Christian tradition, but he's not mentioning the name well, of the main character, which is the very human aspect. It's of, very Old Testament, God. like we were talking about. It's right. So. But then Rachel Gish, her, or Lillian Gish, Gish, Rachel Cooper, I'll mess it up forever. <laughs> Don't Rachel worry. Cooper's character, she is listening to him saying, you know, leaning on the Lord. And she goes, leaning on Jesus. And so what is really interesting about that is she sort of reconfigures that hymn. And he's evil, singing this hymn, probably leaning on some very evil everlasting arms. But she, singing along with him, having this harmony, redeems that hymn and points it back to God. And it's a really interesting, um, really interesting contradiction there i love i love lillian kish because it's the director who uh charles rachel kish rachel kish well it it was she was of the the famous gish sisters they were the sister act of the 1920s they was the greatest like like duo in movies at the time Mm -hmm. like they were i i don't know we can't describe them there's not like a sister act now that is it was so huge like the andrews sisters in a way but the andrews film. sisters were film or the olsen the kardashian <laughs> sisters oh god no oh sorry no scandalized jason if we can get the no. rest we'll, be, oh we'll do well no but lillian gish she was in many dw griffith's first films she was one of the hugest highest paid celebrities at her time so she, with very small actions, 
can do so much more acting than people who could, you know, of that time. She, her face carries more story to it. That's so true. Than than a lot of the other actors you see, even in, even in that movie. Even time Shirley Winters, who is of the the method actors, she came from the actor studio and. And so she has, she's, and Robert Mitchum is that kind of in between actor studio, 1930s manly man. But she just with how she looks at the kids as they walk by her, like she's like the mama goose, Mm -hmm. you know, they all follow behind her in a line, you know, Mm -hmm. but yet she has that look of a mom so quick, that look of a feeling of like, of truth that anybody, she's strong, she's strong and she's super small. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like she's not a very, that woman, if you think about it is a tiny gal she's, like she's standing foot. there with a rifle like it's her old friend <laughs> and then on top of that you know that Lillian Gish made bank on this movie so if it were me I would like to be paid money <laughs> to be a short little old lady carrying just, around a friggin Remington I just on a sunny afternoon that's fine I'm just blown away that she didn't do more talk like talking movies because her voice is the most beautiful voice too it's a southern mm. soothing like and she, I mean, she was huge in the silent era. But then, I like, the, money to hear her read I, scripture. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and to talk about reading scripture, the director, Charles Lyne, he only did one movie in his lifetime, and this is it. But Charles Lyne was somebody who actually would read scripture mm-hmm. in movies or in on television. He was somebody who played some of the most famous literary characters and artistic characters. He was a character actor, one of the great character actors of the of the 1930s, 40s, Mutiny and 50s. Mutiny of the Bounty. Mutiny of Bounty. Yeah. He played Rembrandt, which I remember I saw that Rembrandt and I was like, he looked, he looks like Rembrandt. Physically, mm-hmm. he looks like the the, the paintings. Oh, and then sure. he, like, yep. he was just in that character. He played the one of the first Quasimodos in the talkie, the, the, the first talkie. Yep. Um, you know, he's, he was, it was an actor that you look at him and he could just change the face and he could be the stoic British man deformed mm-hmm. in a hunchback. He could be any character. That versatility really speaks to this film yeah. a lot. You can tell just based off of how, um, the actors are directed in each scene. Oh, even the kids directing yes. the kids. Like you mm-hmm. have to be an actor, a great actor mm-hmm. to know how to direct children like he right. did in that movie. Right, and I really love the way that Robert Mitchum. I mean, I could talk about him for hours. He's yeah, because he's Robert Mitchum. He's, he's a beautiful awesome. man. He's a commanding <laughs> he's a presence. Man. But it, even in the moments where he's really trying to seduce the good favor of the people that he's conversing with and um, trying to manipulate them, you kind of feel led by it. Oh yeah. A little bit, and then at the same time, something will happen, and at one point in the film, he lets out this shriek that oh. is. It is Still legitimately me. terrifying. And I don't know, I'm not, I've always had this thing um, where it's really hard for me to uh, get on board with a lot of like supernatural things. Um, maybe it's my westernized mindset or my reformed tradition growing up. Um, but the supernatural it's so has always been. different from me coming from a Hispanic mindset. Yeah. That's every, like, you heard the story I told you yesterday. Like, yeah. I, I like mean, supernatural. It is tough for me to get on board with that. And if, but of course, I believe that it is a reality that we're just not that familiar yeah. with um, or have much um, knowledge on how to traverse it. But his screech in that film really is like, oh no, evil is real. <laughs> yeah, evil's real. And I am evil. Like, yeah. I all of a sudden, it's like this scene it's where terrifying. he gets shot by Rachel's by Lillian Gish's character, mm-hmm. and he scurries uh, into the barn to hide, and mm-hmm. he screams like an animal. Of, I always think of that um, scripture where 
the demons say to Jesus, like, send us into the pigs. And, like, Robert Mitchum is, like... He crawls on all fours. He yeah, runs on very, the fours. It's very terrifying for a film made in, what, 1955? Yeah. So, it's like, you don't expect anything like that to come out of classic film. But, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of, like, very contemporary horror movies, and I have never been as... I mean, there's no other word for it, disturbed, as I was by that particular moment. Because yeah. it sticks with you. Uh, because not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of like, put-together Parsons run around on all fours. You <laughs> well, know, yeah, and not a lot of characters that you, like, you can kind of sympathize for. I mean, he is the charm and preacher. We've all met one, mm-hmm. if you grow up in the church. We've all met characters that have kind of put up in high positions that are full of this charm. And we've right. watched them... Mm-hmm. You know, like we've fall all seen grace. fall from yeah. greats, mm-hmm. but he's somebody who's evil, who's playing that, like who is that kind of like that the, right. the the wolf in the sheep's clothing. Because we always want to feel like we can trust our spiritual leaders. Um, you feel like they, I mean, scripture says that they're like a shepherd to us, right? Um, they are. If you're from the Catholic tradition, you it's padre, it's father, father you know? yeah, and that's not a light title by any means. So to have a preacher come into your town of course there's already just by his image and his vocation a sense of trust that comes along with it this is a man that you would confess to uh but really that man is listening to find out where'd you hide the money kid mm-hmm. <laughs> you know he has very um very Dude. adverse intentions yeah i just found a cool fact that connects us to our first podcast Ooh, let's do it. lean on the everlasting lord guess what was in first reformed Ah, very ah, true. This song, it, we're probably, it's going to be more than one movie that It'll this song up. is going to come back up on. I just want to point this out. So we're eventually going to get an intro for this thing. <laughs> and I think on some level we should incorporate... It's a hymn, so technically it's public <laughs> domain, so we could use it. We can do some stuff with it, I'm just saying. Warp it into some sort of film dialogue. Well, stay tuned. We'll stay figure. tuned, we'll figure this out. <laughs> but uh, I was also thinking a lot of... Um, so we, we, we were talking earlier about how this film influenced, I would say, a new age of directors. So like from Scorsese, David Lynch, like there's literally David Lynch ripped yeah. off a scene of it in The Elephant Man. Like in this movie is like exactly the same yeah. in The Elephant Man. And also you can see kind of like threads of David Lynch in a lot David's of this. my boy. Yeah. I mean, and that kind of creepiness, surprised. that kind of like almost perfect suburban, mm-hmm. rural He does horror. a phenomenal job of taking the blinds off of of suburban America. Yeah, and it's that's a, this is what this movie is. It's taking southern the southern myth of America mm-hmm. and saying, "No, it's dark." Oh, small town, small country place, small country church, small country people, and your pastor might be killing people. Yeah. 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 But like this movie as I was talking earlier, like the influences you see in all these new directors from Spike Lee, David Lynch, that came up in the 70s and 80s, even to the 90s. But Charles Lawton and Stanley Cortez, who was the cinematographer, who also was Orson Welles' cinematographer for the Magnificent Ambersons and Citizen Kane. Ah, yeah. Ah, they, they grew up with the German Expressionists. And the German Expressionists, Ember Noir, Fritz Lang, G.W. Papps, mm-hmm. they dealt with this kind of like religious horror. And it was also very interesting because, like, when you, I remember studying this in college, like, German Expressionism came right before the rise of Hitler. It was almost like kind of eerie omens to that time. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like in some ways this movie, like when I looked at it in an observed way, like it, it was May 1950s. Charles Lyon had watched some of his friends already be arrested for the, the, uh, the, the communist witch hunts, but the McCarthy trials. Mm-hmm. You know, he had seen he had seen the evils of the rise of, after the war. So you're you're what you're witnessing like just like German Expressionism, which came out right after World War One, and all these directors who saw the horrors of war. Right. You're seeing a kind of new generation at that time in 1955 saying, "Oh look, even in small towns, mm-hmm. the horrors are still there. The real horrors right. are there." And I think it was that's what ended up happening with this movie. Is like this movie was more of a horror film in the era of big budget. Super Bible epics mm-hmm. and film noir style movies, you know, like it just didn't. In that context, it's not surprising that it flopped. Yeah, because it definitely doesn't command as much of a enraptured attention. And if this came out ten years later, mm-hmm. like in like mid sixties, right after my, like right after JFK's assassination, right when those movies were starting to come out, this would have been a huge hit. Right. It would have been massive. It, it, it was. It was just the sense of like it was 1955. It was commented on the horrors, the secret horrors of the perfect lives that mm-hmm. existed. Just like German expressionism, were commented on the horrors and secret lies and like the darkness right. in German culture before World War II and after World War One. That in between era, that is often like we look at the 50s and the 50s is such a good kind of just poet because it is the in between the war and a cultural revolution. Right. So it's like in America, like the films of the 50s are kind of cracked with this kind of darkness. That's so true. So, and I mean, because then I think that's what's happening now. We're going to see movies, the rise of Marvel, the rise of all the super, like all these kind of big movies. We're going to see movies that are really dark in dark ways because they're talking about something dark in us. Right. Yeah. It's the universal theme that even in scripture, you know, man loves darkness rather than light because his deeds are evil. When we are talking about exploring the human condition in film, of course we're going to see, you know, the things about humanity that are, you know, shadow ways in which we are showing that, yes, we are made in the image of God and the image of our creator. But at the same time, of course, it's going to reveal that brokenness that is in every man and isn't... um, limited by person or place or opportunity but um, we each have a brokenness about us and so i think film of this nature that takes that image and blows it up into a rather you know uh bold and exaggerated proportion of having you know like a preacher who goes around killing widowed women um that's not a light thing by any means but if you watch this film with a theological or spiritual mindset you pull out so much just in what we've spoken about yeah. and it and i'm sure i feel like we're we're, 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 not, we're just scratching the surface like i oh, feel completely. like there's so many layers uh, to this the theological of the i mean because it is I, like i was like I was, we were talking earlier it is so much an old testament story yeah, it it's, definitely is. It feels like something like those scary kind of dark stories you remember hearing it like in Sunday school, like that you don't necessarily know what to do with. Yeah, like you go, okay, I can see the power of God in that. I can see the beauty of God. I see the moral, sure, but there's something about it that transcends all of that that really unsettles you. Of like, this might be a God that I don't understand. 
But at the same time, there is almost a predictability about, you know, the immutable, immutable, that's the word, um, characteristics of God. And uh, you can really see that in just how parabolic some of the narrative is in Night of the Hunter. Um, And, I mean, let's be cool. The title is pretty awesome. It's It's a... it's a tight title. Yeah, it's a nice, and also, I just thought of something too. It's so biblical. What does Lillian Gish's character give the boy at the end of the story? Oh, an apple. Right. That's true. It's like even the symbolism, just like, mm-hmm. oh no, no. Like the one th- prize he earns is an apple because he's caught stealing an apple, I think, originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, after she adopted him mm-hmm. and her, her sister, yeah. like, she gives him an apple. Right. Like it was like a gift. Mm-hmm. And also something else. I forget. Like, does he have a watch? Or something? something like that. It's something, something extravagant s- that he probably would have never, never. It's like a watch. But like, he, she also was like feeding him. Like, there's this imagery, like, so much with the with, with mm-hmm. the, the son's character. What's, what's his name? John. John. Yeah. We could go all day. Oh, yeah. John. <laughs> we could go all day in the characters. Like, it's just, day. I mean, uh, so, I mean, to sum up stuff, why do you think we should ask, you know, listeners, to go out and watch this movie if we had to ask them this question yeah well I'd say that uh, if you wanted ever wanted like a good religious horror film it is also funny at moments it is funny it is really ridiculous and cheesy (laughs) and cheesy so if you want a religious horror film with a good old slice of cheese this would be the film for you if you are interested in really incredible acting um, the balance between realism and surrealism, um, and taking a practice. Oh yeah, in, yeah this in is such a surreal American movie. Yeah, it it's is. not like a European. It, really it, it's it almost at times feels like a yeah. Mm-hmm. European. So if you're interested in those things and um, kind of want to step outside yeah. of the comfort zone of what could be a Christian thriller, this would be the one I would say you should uh, give it a give it a rent yeah. on YouTube or whatever. If you find it. That's not a plug for YouTube. <laughs> or Criterion channel. Or, like, or Criterion. Go get the card. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I agree with you completely. I think this is a movie that... The first time I remember watching it, I was just sitting there going, like, what am I watching? This mm-hmm. is an experience of, like... You know, you grew up in Sunday school, and it has these, these childhood memories that click mm-hmm. into your head, and yet there's also this beautiful imagery that just haunts you and oh, and, sure. and it's it's something that like even to this day like I just remember watching other people when they're like especially watching the guests we had for your birthday like just watching them kind of get drawn in too it was like it's oh, like yeah. a, it's like a ma- it's it's one of those movies you can't look away it's it's sure. magic it's re- mm-hmm. it has a magical kind of feel to it like a dark kind of like weird kind of spiritual mm-hmm. connection to you because it feels like how you would imagine the world as a child mm-hmm even the dark and the light how you see dark and light as a child yes. like it's mm-hmm. so clear in that sense and good and evil is portrayed very strongly very well very and very child in childlike ways but mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with it being portrayed in childlike if ways anything, it's refreshing to see it dealt so blatantly and yet with such um respect and rep- like, oh, virtue yeah. in this film is not taken lightly like it is given the place that it deserves um, it would, it's actually interesting the first time I watched this movie I rented it from my local library and <laughs> I, I typically get like a couple and then I try not to lose them and just watch them whenever I can and so it was Christmas Eve oh, <laughs> I decided to watch Night of the Hunter Eve. like I got home from my grandma's <laughs> and I like turned on the Christmas lights in my room get a big blanket, cup of coffee 
and uh, I watched Night of the Hunter, and I remember being like, oh my god, like, why am I watching this at one in the morning on, like, Christmas Eve or whatever, and then at the same time, I was like, I'm gonna need something happy after this, which... I don't know. I've watched some crap in my life. It like, a happy I'm <laughs> kind of desensitized in some ways. And it does have a happy ending, but it was just such an like such an hour and a half, two hours of experiencing that was like a jarring thing to the human it soul. It almost felt like really and then you're just, just you're gonna dream it. And yeah, it's like it's I'm one like, of the movies that you feel yeah, like you could have Christmas tomorrow, <laughs> great. <laughs> it doesn't it definitely feels like a movie that like somehow may have been connected like in your dream. Oh, sure. Yeah, it is very dreamlike. And so it was just like the worst possible introduction to it. But I remember getting up the next morning and be like, parents are like, hey, how was Creeping Out? How you doing this morning? And uh, I sit down and I'm like, oh my gosh, I watched this film last night. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was like really amazing. And I'm probably going to need like the day to process it. And they were like, all right. Like they never know what to do with me after I've watched like a film that's really like Same. impacted like- me. And... <laughs> I was like, you guys got to watch it. And I think my dad watched like, I don't know, maybe like an hour of it. And he was like, yeah, like it's fine. But I went and like did other stuff. And I was like, are we even related? Because <laughs> like, it like changed my life. No big deal. Which is why I requested it. And thank you for screening it. Because that is like, I want to make other people watch the movies oh, yeah. that I love. Like, of course. That's the probably the most selfish like motivation I have. Because I'm like, ooh, how can I get them to watch this? How can I make everyone watch Another Earth? And stuff like that. And then... Another Earth? Finally... Oh, I love that film. I well, love... Screen that's it. my favorite film <laughs> of all time. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so to like have opportunity to force other people to watch me gawk at Robert Mitchum. And that's a good way to kind of end it, too. Got yes. her, you know, Abby gawking at Robert Mitchum. Hey. Robert Mitchum is an amazing man. And I apologize man. for nothing. <laughs> and those who listen, um, starting every other Monday, I am going to begin my movie nights. So we're going to be screening any yeah. movies. But Once not Night of the Hunter. Not Night of the Hunter. You missed it, you fools. <laughs> You're not gonna, you can't come back to that. You Maybe. Me lose some. What can you do? Hopefully, if you see it next time, we'll be either show Woman of the Year or I wanted to show I Married a Witch. But it's not the time. I love Veronica Lake. She's pretty cool. She's no Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum. And with that, yeah. we lose. <laughs> Thanks again, guys. Thanks.